This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that looks at all aspects of the England football team. So here we are then, a new year, a World Cup year, 2022. Happy New Year to you. One which coincidentally is the 22nd edition of this worldwide tournament. A tournament that sees France as the current holders, Brazil as the holder of most titles, five to their name, and a tournament that for the first time is being held in the Middle East, in Qatar, a small little peninsula that borders Saudi Arabia on one side and the Persian Gulf on the other. Another first, it will be played during our winter, starting on the 21st of November and finishing with the final on the 18th of December, in the Lucille Iconic Stadium. Following qualification in November 2021, England go into their 16th World Cup tournament, looking to add to that one 1966 win, and of course build on the momentum of that semi-final place in 2018 and the 2020 European Championships final. As I did with the build-up to that Euro 2020 tournament in 2021, uh, I spoke with various England fans who had attended each tournament that the Three Lions had participated in, just to get some of their memories and anecdotes, get a flavour of what it was like to be there, the sort of things that happened, not just in and around the games, but seeing the host country, meeting the locals and other supporters that were there too. All those episodes are available at threelionspodcast.com or your podcast provider of choice. But as it's a World Cup year, I thought I'd best do the same for that. So over the course of this year, I'll be dropping various episodes that cover each World Cup that England took part in. Now I've taken a punt in saying that I won't be able to find anyone that went to England's first two World Cups in 1950 and 1954. So for this episode, I'm just going to briefly cover those two tournaments before the series really gets up and running. But to take it right back to the start, England and the FA originally joined FIFA in 1906. However, it would be 46 years before they entered the organisation's flagship tournament. 1928 saw all the British nations withdraw from FIFA in a dispute over payments to amateur players. There was also arguments by Britain about the suitability of opposing nations whom Britain had recently been at war with. There was also the snootish assumption that as England were the founders of the game, why should they play anyone else to determine who was the best? They would rejoin FIFA in 1946, but by that time, the first three competitions had passed them by. The first World Cup, held in 1930 in Uruguay, South America, was won by the hosts, 
as they beat Argentina 4-2 in the final. 1930 had 13 teams participate and used the format we currently recognise. Group stages leading to a knockout phase. It was one group of four and three groups of three. Whoever finished top of each group went into the knockouts, or basically the semi-finals. FIFA selected Uruguay as they were holding the centenary of their first constitution and had also retained their summer Olympic title. And for those that perhaps aren't aware, Uruguay have four stars on their crest. Two for the Olympics and two for their World Cup wins. And this World Cup was the only one to have no qualification for it. The following tournament's finals in 1934 were hosted by Italy and they had no group stage. They just went straight into a round of 16, a knockout tournament, which meant that many teams travelled for just one game. For example, in 1934, the USA were beaten 7-1 by eventual winners Italy. And in 1938, Hungary beat the Dutch East Indies 6-0. The Dutch East Indies are now known as Indonesia. But 1934, as I say, held in Italy, won again by the hosts. They saw off Czechoslovakia 2-1 in the final. 1938 again was held in Europe, this time in France, much to the anger of Uruguay and Argentina, who decided not to enter as they believed that the tournament should alternate between Europe and South America as hosts. Spain also didn't enter because of the civil war there. Italy, well, they won the tournament for the second time, beating Hungary 4-2. And this would be the last tournament to be held until 1950, as the Second World War would dominate world events in the next decade. So over the course of the year, I'll be taking a look at all the finals that England have participated in, with the help of people who were there in some way, shape or form. And I hope you'll be able to join me for them. But let's start at 1950, when the World Cup was held in Brazil. It's generally deemed that England are the inventors of the game of football. So despite not entering the first three tournaments, they went to Brazil as one of the favourites, having already won three Olympic golds in the football tournament although this under the guise of Great Britain. And the Olympic Golds, as I mentioned, was a tournament that Uruguay had also won twice. After the end of the Second World War, FIFA made a concerted effort to get British teams into the World Cup and playing international football. To the extent, they offered the winners of the home nations a place at the Brazil finals. England topped the group with Scotland second, Wales and Ireland, third and fourth. And in desperation to get another home nation there, FIFA also said the runners-up could come too. George Graham, the then chairman of the Scottish FA, not George Graham of Arsenal and Chelsea fame, he bizarrely said that they would only attend if they won the home nations, if they finished top. The second place was no good. Scotland finished second, and despite the efforts of the Scottish captain George Young and also England's Billy Wright, 
Graham wouldn't change his mind. So Scotland forfeited the 1950 World Cup tournament. Those home championships come World Cup qualifier results were as follows. In October 1949, we travelled to Wales and played them in Cardiff. Came away with a 4-1 win. In November of 1949, Manchester City's main road hosted Ireland as England ran out 9-2 winners. And then in April the following year, 1950, the final match for England came away in Hamden against Scotland and England recorded a 1-0 victory. So with qualification assured for the first time, England manager Walter Winterbottom chose his 21 players and they were two goalkeepers, Ted Ditchburn of Tottenham, Bert Williams of Wolves, defenders John Aston of Manchester United, William Eckersley of Blackburn Rovers, Lawrence Hughes of Liverpool, Alf Ramsey of Tottenham, a name that I'm sure many will recognise, Lawrence Scott of Arsenal, James Taylor of Fulham, Billy Wright, captain, of course he came from Wolves. In midfield, Eddie Bailey of Tottenham, Henry Cockburn of Manchester United, James Dickinson of Portsmouth, Bill Nicholson of Tottenham, William Watson of Sunderland, and up front, seven strikers, Roy Bentley of Chelsea, Tom Finney, Preston North End, Wolf Mannion, Middlesbrough, Stanley Matthews, Blackpool, Jackie Milburn, Newcastle United, Stan Mortensen of Blackpool, and Jimmy Mullen of Wolves. And if you know your famous footballers, I'm sure many of those strikers you'll be more than aware of. At London Airport, England's team for the World Soccer Cup at Rio faces a battery of cameras big enough to shake a star as the players come to board their plane. Meanwhile, Billy Wright speaks for the team. And the lads are in very good spirits, and like I can say that we're going to try our very, very best to bring the World Cup back to England for you. About half a million pounds worth of soccer stars off to win the World Cup for England or bust the ball in the attempt. Here's wishing them the very best of luck in the championship. So the fourth edition of the World Cup was held in Brazil, South America and was the first that England featured in. World Cup posters were now becoming a popular tradition. Each host nation produced an advertising poster and it is a tradition that remains to this day. Designed by a native that represents their culture and interpretation of the showpiece event. And for this tournament, Brazil produced a poster showing a player's lower half of his leg, covered in a sock that was on top of a ball. The sock then featured the flags of all the participating nations, and this was set to a backdrop of the Amazon River. Thirteen teams participated in a strange, complicated format. The group stages consisted of four groups. Group 1 had Brazil, Yugoslavia, Switzerland and Mexico. Group 2 consisted of Spain, England, Chile and the USA. Group 3 was a three-team group. Sweden, Italy and Paraguay. India, originally, were also drawn in this group but withdrew before playing a game. And Group 4 was originally a three-team group 
with Uruguay, Bolivia and France. However, like India, France pulled out before a ball was kicked, which meant that only one game was played in that group. Uruguay eased through with an 8-0 victory over Bolivia. With England winning their debut match in the finals against Chile, which was in fact the first time the two nations had met, hopes were high going into the second group game against the USA, again another first opponents for the Three Lions. And this game was to be played in the Estadio Independienza in Belo Horizonte. And it's worth noting that this was a different stadium that England played Costa Rica in during the 2014 Brazilian World Cup. And whilst we were beating Chile by two goals to nil, the Americans had lost 3-1 to Spain. Now up until this point, post-war, England had only lost four in 30 games. USA had lost their last seven internationals which included an unofficial England team that was touring Canada shortly before the finals. And this was actually a game that Stanley Matthews played in. Matthews would leave that unofficial team and make his way to Brazil to join up with the official England team in time for the World Cup, although he wouldn't play against the Americans due to injury. Whilst the England team was full of recognised players from the top-flight English teams, Alf Ramsey, Billy Wright, Tom Finney, Stan Mortensen, the American team was more like that from a cliché David and Goliath English FA Cup tie. Players who were semi-professional, where their job was either a teacher, postman, apparently one was even a hearse driver for a funeral home. And the US were actually captained by a Scotsman, Ed McIlvenny, who also played twice for Manchester United. Such was the thinking that this game would be so one-sided American coach Bill Jeffrey, when speaking with the press, said his team would have no chance and that they were sheep ready to be slaughtered. Back home, the Daily Express, an English newspaper, wrote in one column that it would be fair to give the US three goals head start. Thursday 29th of June, kick-off 6pm local time, on a poor pitch, England would play the game in royal blue shirts with white shorts and black socks. The US in white with a red sash. It's a game that the result is well known, especially on American soil. England started the brightest. The first half hour was one-way traffic. And throughout the game, England did everything but score. If you read various reports, England hit the woodwork between three and 11 times throughout the 90 minutes. They had shots that flew just wide or over or were saved by Frank Borgie. He was a former baseball player in goal. Then the unthinkable happened. On 38 minutes, Walter Barr, one of those teachers, took a shot from 25 yards out. It struck his teammate, Joe Gatons, struck him on the head and diverted past Burt Williams in goal. Despite more English pressure in the second half, they couldn't make up the deficit. Italian referee Generoso Datillo also played his part, supposedly not awarding England a couple of clear penalties, and the Americans held out for a famous victory, which in true Hollywood style has since been made into a movie, although the truth in it all and the acting leaves a lot to be desired. Rumour has it that when the result was sent back to England for the papers to print, 
The result was thought to be a typing error, and many agencies and papers thought the result was actually 10-1 in England's favour, although this remains more a myth than factual. US Radio also dismissed the actual score as a hoax. It would be 60 years until the two would meet again in the World Cup. And having lost to the USA, things were now serious in the group. The next opponents were Spain, and to progress, they would have to beat them by four goals. It didn't happen. A late Spanish goal meant England were out and coming home. In a very tight group, England came second on two points. They were joint with Chile and United States also on two points. England in second place due to their goals against column. Chile in third place with six goals against and United States with eight goals against. The final round of games was a group of Brazil, Spain, Sweden and Uruguay playing each other in a round-robin format, which ended famously in Uruguay, beating Brazil in the Maracanã 2-1 to lift the Jules Rimet trophy. Whilst England went home early, the final was actually refereed by an Englishman, George Reader from Nuneaton. Four years on, and England were back at the World Cup. Again, qualification was through the home championships, a group where each nation only played three times. England duly finished top with three wins from three, Scotland second, this time wisely taking up FIFA's invitation of finishing second place. Neither had far to go this time, as the finals were to be held in Switzerland. England got there by beating Wales 4-1, Ireland 3-1, and then beating Scotland in Glasgow by four goals to two. England would be looking to get further than they did in Brazil four years before, but they came to Switzerland off the back of tour defeats to Yugoslavia and Hungary, and the team, well, they based themselves in the lovely city of Lucerne. <laughs> Once again, Walter Winterbottom was in charge and he picked his squad prior to the finals, consisting of the following players. Edward Bergin and Jill Merrick were the goalkeepers. Bergin from Sheffield United, Merrick from Birmingham City. Defenders, Roger Byrne of Manchester United. Alan B. Chilton, again of Manchester United. Kenneth Green, Birmingham City. Ron Staniforth from Huddersfield Town. Billy Wright from Wolves. And as in the 1950 World Cup finals, he was captain once again. Midfielders, Kenneth Armstrong from Chelsea. James Dickinson, Portsmouth. Johnny Hayes of Fulham. Bedford Jezzard, also of Fulham. William McGarry, Huddersfield Town. Sid Owen of Luton Town. Albert Quixel, Sheffield Wednesday. And up front, Ivor Broadis, Newcastle United. Tom Finney, Preston North End. Harry Hooper from West Ham. Nat Lofthouse, Bolton Wanderers, Stanley Matthews, Blackpool, James Mullen from Wolves, Tommy Taylor, Manchester United, Dennis Wilshaw of Wolves. And the captain's here with me, Billy Wright. Um, what do you feel about your side? 
Well, as I said, we, we trained together last week when we knew the, probably knew the side. On Wednesday, I think they played very well together. And I'm very hopeful of our chances against Belgium on Sunday. What about the rest of the competition? Well, we'll wait and see about that, I think. Well, the uh, senior member of the party is with me here, Stanley Matthews. How are you? Well, you've certainly had experience of European tours before now. Oh, yes, uh, I have. And, uh, you know, football is such a funny game that everyone seems to be saying that we haven't much of a chance over there, but you never know. We're hoping, anyway. Anyway, how do you think you're going to manage after the first round, if you get through the first round? Oh, it's very hard to say because, as I said before, football is so funny. I mean, I'm sure that, I feel sure there'll be one or two surprises in the series. But you're pretty, you're pretty confident. Oh yes. Well, we, we have to be confident. We, we have to do our best, and and I think we, we've got a very good chance. Well, our good wishes are with you. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. The World Cup of 1954 was a 16-team tournament split into four groups of four. England were drawn in Group 4 alongside Belgium, host Switzerland and Italy. But due to the strange ways of FIFA back then, they seeded two teams in each group and kept them apart. So every team would only play two group games each. If a game ended in a draw after normal time, then it would go to extra time. Although there would be no penalties if it ended in a draw. Italy... Well, they were the other seeded team in the group, so England and Italy wouldn't meet. So in June 1954, England played Belgium and played out a 4-4 draw that went to extra time. Ivor Broadis scored two and Nat Lofthouse scored two. This was England's first game to ever go to extra time. And as I say, no penalties to decide the winner. Next up came hosts Switzerland. A 2-0 win for England thanks to goals from Mullen and Wilshaw. So the group ended with England top, Switzerland second, and both qualifying for the knockout rounds. Italy and Belgium, well, they would exit early. So the quarter-final came round and England were pitted against two times winners, Uruguay. So to the quarter-finals. Every match now, more thrilling, more dramatic, more closely fought than the last. This is England versus Uruguay, but it's Uruguay quickly on the attack. From Aberdeen, the ball goes across to the opposite wing, to Borges. Borges shoots into the net a goal. England one down. Five minutes play gone in the first half. You know, the ball comes to Lofthouse, almost from the penalty spot. He shoots into the corner of the net. 1-1. However, what they missed by their free kick, the Uruguayans make up for in a long shot by their veteran captain Varela. 2-1. Now it's 3-1 as a result of a shot by Schiaffino. And what a wonderful footballer this man is. £25,000 worth of footballer, or at least that's what Milan paid for him during this competition. Finney now beats his man. Pushes the ball across. Out comes the ball again. Another shot. It's blocked. Back it comes out again. Another shot and this time over the line. So England have pulled up, 3-2. England after the equaliser, Uruguay trying to clinch matters. And clinch it they do through a goal by Ambrose. 4-2 and England make their exit from the World Cup. 
West Germany would go on to win the tournament for the first time, defeating pre-tournament favourites Hungary in the final by three goals to two. Scotland were the only other British representatives. They only played twice in the group stages before coming home. They lost 1-0 to Austria and 7-0 to Uruguay. There we have it. A brief plotted history of England at their first two World Cups and the three prior to those. Back in the tournament's inauguration, Frenchman Jules Rimet was the FIFA president. The competition was his brainchild and the trophy, awarded from 1930 until 1970, was known as the Jules Rimet Trophy. One made of gold-plated sterling silver Standing 35 centimetres, or 14 inches high, weighed 3.8 kilograms. It comprised a decagonal cup supported by a winged figure representing Nike, the ancient Greek goddess of victory. And of course the trophy itself has a history to it, but we'll touch on that as this series goes on. I wonder what Monsieur Rimet would have thought of the tournament now having gone from 13 teams in Uruguay in 1930 to 32 in Qatar, and then further expansion in 2026 when USA, Canada and Mexico will accommodate 48 teams. Now in the run-up to Qatar 2022, we'll be looking back at all the World Cups that England have participated in. 15 to be precise, and the next 13 parts to this series will all feature memories and anecdotes from people that went to the likes of Chile, Mexico, Spain and Japan. Now the next instalment, we go to Switzerland in 1958. And I'm joined by a very special guest and I hope you can join me for it. This has been the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. Please do spread the word about the podcast. You can find it on all the usual podcast platforms. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Same can be said for all the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go on, give it a follow there. So until the next time, look after yourself. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.